I'll hang on to the chocolates. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, Tammy. <clears throat> yeah, it is Fokorong. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute or two. But beforehand, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to flick it up on the screen for you. And the question is, was there, or can you remember a time, think of a time when you were, when you were lost? Um, so, no, nah, other picture. So when you were lost, now I'm not talking about like when you were stumbling down the hallway in the middle of the night trying to look for the bathroom, which does happen, I'm sure, but properly lost, properly lost, like maybe you're out in the hills and, or in the bush and you're just uh, miles away from civilization. maybe you were in, in a town or a city and it was just kind of sprawling urban spread and you just had no idea where you were, you were just completely, utterly lost, you didn't know where you were or even where you wanted to get to. Has anybody got like a one sentence story they want to share about that? I will bribe you with a caramel chocolate. Jordan, you always have a story when it comes to chocolates, so properly lost. Sort of properly. I was in um, this one. Yeah. So I was in Lake Hayes this week um, doing some work, and when I left, I picked up the phone to Sam and I said, oh, I've gone on, 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 on. And I said, wait a minute, I don't know where I am. Because Lake Hayes is clearly designed like, who knows? Like, There's all these dead ends. Like a maze. And I was like, well, I don't know where I'm going. So I said, I have to phone you back because I've got to put the GPS on. Oh, okay, all right, all right, that's good, that's good enough, that's good enough. Here you go. Anybody else? Uh, yep. Ian, I'll come to you. Sorry, next. I got lost in Great Barrier Island one time. I went out walking with my, uh, by myself and uh, dropped off by an old fellow that I was staying with there. Uh, met up with three tourist people. Uh, we missed a corner. We kept on going and going and going. I'm sure we were, we're sure we're still coming to this corner. We were supposed to turn and go back out to the road, but we got so late. Actually, we, it was a good story in the end because we finished up stopping um, and praying with these three girls who were not Christians at all and then managed to get a cell phone connection with hardly, with no bars on the phone at all, just enough by climbing up onto a rocks and we were able to let them know that we were all right and tell them to come where we had finished up. Wow. Yeah, and it was quite a story actually. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's a properly lost. That's not like Hayes, but that's, no. you know, next level. Okay. No GPS. Are we? Uh, I got lost um, on Tokyo subway. <laughs> I was um, following somebody in a massive crowd, got on the wrong train. I don't know how I knew I was on the wrong train. <laughs> I got off it and I had this lady's phone number. I rang her up and she gave me two words and I didn't know what they meant. They were Japanese words. <laughs> Which you're obviously not fluent in. Japanese. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I. And anyway, I had these two words going through my mind. What do they mean? What do they mean? And I, and I've forgotten what they are now. <laughs> but I worked out one at the first. I was I was looking around for these signs. The first one was the um, the um, train company. I, th I thought, okay, that's right. I found the first word. The second word was the station that she was at. Ah, nice. Okay. And uh, it took me, oh, it was probably half an hour to an hour. That's not too bad. But um, yeah, it was, I was lost. <laughs> and it's probably a big place to get lost in, Tokyo. Yeah, it is. <laughs> awesome. That actually curiously reminds me of the time I got lost, which was a little bit awkward. Uh, Dana and I were in Waiheke Island, uh, and we were at the beach, and then I said, oh, look, there's a few people down that end, let's walk down that end, and um, 
carried on walking and walking, and turns out that at that end of the beach was a nudist beach, um, <laughs> which I didn't realise, and I was fully clothed and pretty keen to keep it that way. I said, uh, no, I think we're lost. I think we should just keep walking past the people who didn't have any clothes on, and where do you look? I mean, you, you, know, like, you don't look at the beach, you kind of want to look at the ocean, but it was... We had to figure out where we were going, and eventually we got there. Um, but we didn't do like the big prayer thing that Ian did or anything, which was a bit more holy. Anyway, here's my point. <laughs> that being lost is, is generally uh, a bit of an uncommon experience in our modern world. And when you think about all the devices that we have, the navigational tools, etc., etc., technically we probably really shouldn't get lost all that much. I mean... A lot of us, or if you've been out in the hills, you've probably recognised something like this, a GPS locator beacon. So if you're way up in the mountains, you get lost, or there's some sort of accident or something, you can activate this. I'm being very careful that I don't accidentally activate it. You can activate this, and hopefully someone in a helicopter will come and find you. Some of you, if you're probably, I don't know, over the age of 30, might recognise one of these. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, a map. Um, of this is of New Zealand. It's actually called a touring atlas, so you can like cruise around all the roads of New Zealand. But uh, plenty of them, all the maps in great detail. So there's those, and oh, probably most of us would have Google Maps on our phone, right? And so, really, when you think about all the different things that we've got, GPS, maps, Google Maps, etc., I suppose as long as you've got cell phone coverage, you can kind of figure out where you are, which is a little bit big brother, but anyway, that's fine. And so, as long as we've got those things, <clears throat> um, we should be right. But even with this modern technology, we still get lost, right? Which makes me really, really amazed at the skills of explorers from history before the times when we had these modern tech. So you think about 800 years ago, when those Polynesian navigators, they migrated across the Pacific Islands uh, and eventually settled in uh, Aotearoa. They are the ancestors of our Maori people, and, and the skill and the courage that they would have had to sail across the oceans in those double-hulled waka is pretty amazing. No compass, no map, no GPS, no, no Google Maps, and they traversed thousands of miles across the ocean. And how did they do it? Well, those ancient Polynesian navigators used a number of techniques. They, they looked at the wind shifts, they looked at the formation of the clouds, they looked at the flight patterns of birds, they looked at the ocean currents, and even the streaks of phosphorescence that were on the, the top of the sea. And apparently some of those navigators would lie in the bottom of their walker and they would feel the patterns of the waves through their bodies. And they would sense when the waves were bouncing off land and obviously you know, could tell the differences between that. Now that is phenomenal skills, right? Like amazing, amazing abilities. Those navigators were, were highly tuned to their environment. They were listening and tuned into what was going on around them. And I think, sadly, a lot of those skills are, are kind of all but lost in our modern world. 
Not entirely. So a number of indigenous cultures still preserve similar skills. So for example, the Inuit people uh, in northern Canada, they can navigate those frozen fields by reading different patterns in the snow. Much like we would read a book, they can read the snow. Aboriginal people in Australia, they can get right across the outback using landmarks and the placement of the sun, different times, different days. The Bedouin tribes across the Middle East, they use um, the stars to navigate, and they also use the shape of the sand dunes. So pretty amazing, some of those skills. But most of us really aren't just needing to navigate uh, across the snowfields or the outback or the ocean, right? We are simply just trying to navigate everyday life. And as good as our modern technology is, with the GPS and the maps and all that sort of stuff, it does actually have kind of limitations. Has anybody ever typed into Google Maps, where am I going in life? Oh, well, I, can, I know why you wouldn't do that, because you probably wouldn't get a particularly helpful answer. I actually did that this week. This is what I typed in. Where am I going in life? Google Maps. And Google Maps says, Google Maps can't find where am I going in life. Make sure your search is spelled correctly, which it was. Try adding a city, state, or zip code. And then my last favorite one, should this be a place on Google Maps? Yes, it should. I think at times life is hard to navigate simply because there is lots going on. I don't know whether you've had a good week, whether you've had a bad week whether you've had a long week, a tragic week, an easy week, a hard week, but all of us are facing changes and challenges in our everyday lives. And then if you take a step back and you kind of look at things from a global perspective, there are significant changes and challenges happening around the world. So sociologists reckon that the, there have been some significant cultural shifts unfolding around the world in the last few decades. And COVID, the last two years, we've probably felt quite overwhelmed, but COVID's really just accelerated what was already happening. <clears throat> so a whole bunch of trends that were, were kind of already moving have been amplified by the experiences of the last couple of years. So for example, technologically, you think about the changes that we've experienced in the last maybe 10 to 20 years. And there's been huge advancements and equipment and expertise and and what's happened, it seems to be that some of that stuff is increasingly unstable. So a lot of cybercrime, you might think about some of those international espionage, kind of digital espionage stuff that we've seen on the news. So some people are predicting that actually the internet, which we rely on for a lot of stuff, is going to become more unreliable in the future. So if you've got a stash of cassette tapes or, or records or something lying around the garage, hang on to those because they're going to make a massive comeback. Uh, possibly, I don't know. Environmental, big changes there, heat waves, extreme storms, flooding, extinction of species, etc. Economic changes, the whole uh, Bitcoin that's been hugely disruptive to central banks. And another interesting trend is that extreme poverty has been reducing for the last 200 years. But uh, thanks mainly to urbanisation in China and, and a lot of economic, economic growth in Africa, but in the last two years, since 2020, extreme poverty has started to trend back upwards. And the forecast is for that to sadly increase for many people around the world. Geopolitically, there's been a whole bunch of changes, shifts in power on the global stage. Nations have seen the rise of populist parties, which really try to um, emphasise power to the people. 
uh, and a whole lot of theories around all that sort of stuff. And even speaking of people, population. There's way more people and more people are moving to cities and then more people are living longer. Life expectancy has increased massively in the last 200 years and there's been a, a significant expansion of the middle class. So there is just a huge amount of change. There's a lot happening in our world. We live in a very complex world. And when you look at that and you look at what we've got going on, it's really kind of easy to feel overwhelmed and maybe even a little bit lost. But I want to tell you that the challenges that we're facing also bring an opportunity. And I want to remind you very simply that the disruptions and difficulties that we are experiencing have happened before. That our papa, our ancestors, have experienced changes and challenges, and, and because of God's guidance and because of his grace, they were able to navigate their way through life. And I think that opportunity still stands for us today. You can experience God's goodness in your life if you would listen to him. So we're going to unpack one, uh, this timeless truth uh, by diving into the Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, feel free to open it up or swipe to it on your phone or whatever. And we're going to look at um, some of the recorded writings of an ancient Jewish prophet, a guy called Isaiah. We're going to read in verse 43, but, uh, chapter 43, but while you're getting there, let me give you a little bit of background to this guy. Isaiah had a tough job. <laughs> so he was called to tell the people of Israel that, uh, this is 2,700 years ago, Isaiah was called to tell the people of Israel that they had to turn from a life of sin and selfishness. And he warned them that if they didn't, God would bring judgment on their rebellion. Now, you can imagine that's a tough job. That's a pretty unpopular message you've got to deliver. No one really likes being told off. But in the midst of announcing God's judgment, Isaiah also brought a message of hope. So through Isaiah, God promised that if his people repented and returned, that one day he would send a king who would refresh and restore his people and bring blessing to their lives. And so we're going to pick up this story in Isaiah chapter 43. And, and through, through the prophet, through Isaiah, God is, is making a case. He's explaining the hope that he has for the future for his people. So this is what we read. I'll put it up on the screen. This is what the Lord says. I'm the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I'm the Lord who opened a way through the waters making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. So very simply, God's, God's reminding his people that he is active and involved in their history. And, and if you're not sure what's going on, he's just referring to their escape from Egypt 700 years before this, God miraculously liberated the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. You can read about it in the Bible, Exodus chapter 5 through to 15. But it's a really timely reminder because at this moment, the Jewish people are facing another national crisis. The changes and challenges that we're facing have been, have been messy. But I want to remind you that God is with you in the mess. In fact, Isaiah 43, verse 2, God says this, When you go through deep waters, 
I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And so what's fascinating is that right after God reminds his people that he has created them, that he has called them, that he has chosen them, he then he flips the script. This is what we read in the next section. God says this, But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. Yes, I'll make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Now, you may be mistaken for thinking that God is ignoring the past. He's not. The past is an important reminder of God's faithfulness. And the truth is that we have, we have a short-term memory. We're forgetful people, right? I mean, honestly, how many of you wondered during the week what day it was? Or where you'd put your phone? Or where you'd put your wallet? Or even where you'd park your car? I think remembering the past helps us see God's faithfulness. And so God highlights the good that he's done in the past, but then he also points out that he is at work in the present and in the future. And in the primary context of this, God plans to lead his people out of exile in Babylon, to return them to their homeland. And this is, this is the hope that his people have been longing for. In the midst of their changes and then their challenges, this is the hope that they have hung on to, that God has it sorted, that he's got a plan to refresh and restore them. The kicker is that the way home is through the wilderness. So that journey from Babylon to Jerusalem is over 1,000 kilometers through the harsh, one of the harshest deserts in the planet. Dry, dusty, dangerous. But look at what God promises his people. I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. Yes, I'll make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. God reminds his people of his past provision and he promises to do even greater miracles than that in the future. I wonder if 2,700 years later, you believe that's true in your life. Can you see God's goodness and grace in your life? Can you see his protection and provision in your life? Can you see his refreshment and restoration in your life? I do believe that, that it is possible that God could do that, that, that God could do even more than that in your present and in your future. Perhaps you're feeling a little bit like you're wandering in a desert. Maybe it's a dry patch, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. You know, those seasons are not easy to go through. It's really not easy to trust that God has got the situation under control. But the truth is that he can make a pathway for you. He offers refreshment for your weary soul. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. The seasons change, and you change. But your Lord stands ever more the same. 
and the streams of his love are as deep, as broad, and as full as ever. Friends, I want to remind you that God is always at work. He has been at work in your past, he is at work in your present, and he will be at work in your future. All we have to do is see it. And you know, honestly, sometimes when God asks me that question, do you see it? My default answer is, no. <laughs> no, I don't see it. Maybe I have a man look at my circumstances. Just a quick skim and I see nothing new. I see no progress, no growth. I just see dry, barren wilderness. But when God looks at those same circumstances, it's as if he says, I can do immeasurably more than you can imagine. I have plans for you. I have purposes for you. I have hopes and dreams that will just blow your mind. All you have to do is listen to my voice, to see the new things I'm doing. You know, in Maori culture, there's a concept of whakarongo, which, is, which, which, which means listen, but it's much deeper and richer than our, kind of our English idea. You know, maybe, maybe when your wife comes up to you and she, she lists a list of jobs that you have to do, and you maintain eye contact, and you're hearing the sounds, but your brain is, is somewhere else, like you're reviewing the recent All Blacks game, or you're thinking about what to have for lunch, or something quite important. You're listening, but you're not really listening. Well, whakaronga means to, to really listen, to, to actively listen and understand, to, to get the message, to see what's really happening. And so when God asks, do you not see it? He's asking, do you get it? Are you listening to my voice? Do you see my hand at work? And I think that message is true not just for those ancient Israelite people and not even just for us as individuals, but for the global Christian church. You know, the winds of change through the world have been, been strong and I think COVID-19 has really accelerated those cultural shifts. But in the midst of those changes, there are still opportunities for the church to listen to God's voice, to look and see what he's doing, and to follow the path that he is carving. And so for the last 140 years, the New Zealand Baptist churches, the New Zealand Baptist missionary societies, have been really active around the world, championing the cause of the gospel to people and places in need. And since the sort of early part of the 20th century, Baptist missionaries have been listening to God's call in the nation of India. They've been active and working in India, doing a lot of really kind of typical missionary things, you know, teaching, Bible, teaching the Bible to adults and children, uh, setting up schools, orphanages, hospitals, helping the hungry and the homeless, doing some really, really amazing work. But several years ago, a unique opportunity opened up to help women who were trapped in the sex trade in Kolkata in India. So a young couple called Paul and Sarah took their uh, young family over to, to India from New Zealand and they established a business which offered an alternative for women 
to work. Instead of having to sell their bodies, they could make products to sell. And this was known as the loyal workshop. So we're going to just watch a short clip uh, about this and then kind of just give you a bit of an idea. Thanks. You carry her bag, but do you know her story? Do you know the transformation she presses into every day? How her life is paving the way for future generations? She is one of 16 women walking confidently into her workshop today, while thousands of others just like her will spend the day forced to sell their bodies in the sex trade. Do you know of her strength, her grit, her faith? আমার নাম চন্দনা দাস আমি অনেক খারাপ ছিল যখনই ছিলাম বৃষ্টি হতো ঝড় হতো সবসময় দাঁড়িয়ে থাকতাম নিচে আগে অনেক খারাপ মন ছিল যে না আমি এই কাজ করছি এরকম মনে আসতো আমার আগে মন খুব খারাপ ছিল প্রথম তো সারাদি পলদা গেছিল সারাদি বলছে তুমি কাজ করবে আমি যে হ্যাঁ আমি কাজ করতে চাই তাই খুব ভালো লেগেছে যে আমাদের ব্যাগ সেলাই হয় আমাদের এরকম এরকম চামড়ার কাজ এমন লয় লোকসভা ঢুকে ভালো হয়েছি ভালোবাসা দিয়েছে অনেক আমরা অনেক পরিবার আছি আমাদের লয় লোকসভা পরিবারটা খুব ভালোবাসে এবং সম্মান দেয় আমিও সম্মান দিই তাই খুব ভালো ভালো লাগে সেলাই করতে প্যাকেজিং করতে কাটিং করতে সব ভালো লাগে আগে অত আনন্দ ছিল না এখন অনেক আনন্দতে আছি খুশি আছি মনও ভালো মন ভালো পরিবর্তন হয়েছে তাই এখন কাজ করি তাই আমার মন খুব ভালো ভালো আছি খুব তাই তারপরে আমরা অনেক পরিবার পেয়েছি Quite a simple idea, really but just something that makes a huge difference. So I'm going to invite Ian from uh, our missions team to just come in, pray for that whole scene. Thanks, Ian. Did you pick up in that video 16 people working in that organisation? How many people outside? 
thousands of other people outside not yet able to be reached like that. I was thinking as we sang that song earlier, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let's pray. Our Father, when we have watched that video and we see what that organisation has been able to do for this small number of people, we are happy for them that they have been able to be employed in that way in an honourable trade and produce this good product which is sold around the world. We thank you for them, but we grieve for those who are still outside, who are not being reached, and we know that this problem is across Kolkata, across the other cities of, of India, but also across the world. And we grieve for those people who are not yet reached and we think about how that the problem is even bigger than just prostitution. It is the whole selling of young teenagers into slavery to be used in this way. Around the world we've got big problems there. But we thank you for those who have been able to go. We think of that young couple who went there and started their business. And we as a church support some others who were involved in other organisations with NZBMS um, who are also doing similar things. And other missionaries that we know of as well who are doing them in different cities and even in different countries. And we pray for them, Lord. And we pray that, we, that there might be others who can add to that number to go out and to reach and to give opportunities to, to, to these people. We pray, Lord, that lives will be transformed, but also that opportunities will be available for people to change the, the way that they are entrapped in their lives. We commend them all to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Yeah, I think, like what Ian said, it is actually really amazing that those women are now free. Yeah, sure, there's only 16 of them, but that's 16 who have made a difference out of the uh, thousands. They've now have, they've got choices and they've got opportunities, a life of purpose and, and hopefully fulfilment. All because that couple in New Zealand listened to God and saw what he was doing. I think this year has been a tough year for a lot of people and I think a lot of us have possibly felt lost and maybe needing some direction and guidance. So my question for you to just kind of think about is, what might God be saying to you? What opportunities is he presenting to you? What paths is he making for you? What refreshment is he offering for you? What hope is he giving to you? You know, our world can be pretty noisy, and sometimes even church can be noisy. So uh, just for a moment, I'm just going to invite you to sit in silence, and you might just simply enjoy the peace and quiet, um, or you might want to take some time to try and listen to God, and, and really listen to Fokorongo, to get the message, to see what he is doing. God is offering you refreshment in your wilderness season. He might be presenting a pathway for you through a rough patch, or, or, or a new opportunity, but whatever it is, I invite you in this moment to listen. 
When you're ready, I invite you to share communion with us. It's just a, a remembrance of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's a reminder of the work that Jesus did in the past for us, but also a reminder of what he's doing in our present and our future. So communion is just kind of an opportunity to listen to God, something that we've been trying to do this morning, and, and maybe you might want to turn that back and to thank him for that selfless gift uh, of Jesus and the power that he gives to everyone who believes. So I'm going to pray and then invite you a couple of tables at the front and a table at the back. Feel free in your own time to, to um, come and share communion. God, we just want to say thanks this morning for what you've done in our past. Now, maybe we don't say it enough, but we're grateful for your hand in our lives. Thanks, too, that you're at work in our present and our future, that you're doing new things. You're carving pathways, refreshing our weary souls, opening up opportunities, providing, protecting, and even promising greater things ahead. We trust that you are at work, and we really want to listen and see what you're doing to play our part in your mission and your world, for your namesake. Amen. Thanks.